Galatians chapter 2. As you've been uh, following along in the book of Acts, we are kind of breaking off from Acts. As you go through the book of Acts, it's a historical book. And we see in the first part, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. The church is born, and the mission of the gospel goes forward. We see a bunch of opposition to the gospel, and we see the Lord using Peter and various people through persecution even. And then it shifts over to Paul, and Paul is, um, is going to take, he is taken over basically from chapter 12 on. He's the main focus and the gospel going forward to the Gentiles, to those people who were not Jews. And so there's a lot of cultural things, uh, Jewish background, law background, coming into people who have never heard of the law, never been under the law, receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior, and those two worlds kind of colliding. You've got tradition, and you've got people without tradition, and they're hitting. And that's kind of what Paul is going at. And so during this time, he went on a missionary journey. He, we'll, we'll go to it again. I'll go in more detail. But... He had a missionary journey where he went through the area of Galatia, which is in Turkey. And people came to the Lord. It was a very difficult circumstance. Paul got stoned with rocks, fell over as if he was dead, probably went up to the third heaven, stood up the next day, went into the next town, continued on with the gospel. And he established this church in Galatia, these churches in Galatia, it was an area, with grace with grace. And here he is back in Antioch, which is their headquarters, kind of in Syria. And all of a sudden, we come to, let's say, Acts 15, where we have people who are brothers, supposedly, from Jerusalem, supposedly coming down from James, the leader of the church, and telling the Christians in uh, Antioch, that they must be circumcised in order to be saved. In other words, faith in Jesus is great, but you also must do A, B, and C in order to be saved, to be truly made right before God. And Paul, he starts in chapter 1, and he's responding because this doctrine is not only uh, limited to Antioch, it's spreading out through all the churches that he had planted. It's going all over the place. And so Paul, it says in chapter 1, he's an apostle, not from God, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He raised him from the dead. And he tells the Galatians in verse 3 of chapter 1, grace and peace to you from our God and Father. But he doesn't talk about how it makes him happy. He goes straight, the gloves are off. And in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he says in verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so the apostle, kind of their spiritual dad, comes in and says, hey, what you are receiving from these people who are coming to your church, that you're, turning, you're believing that you must be circumcised now also, is a false gospel. It's perverted. It's not a gospel at all. And he goes on and says, let anybody, if, if I or an angel from heaven or anyone else comes down and preaches to you a different gospel than the one I received, the gospel of grace, not of works, let him be accursed, let him be eternally damned. And those are heavy words, and he says it again, he repeats it, just so you get it through your heads. I want you to know. And he goes, am I pleasing men? Am I here to please men? Would I, would I say these things in such way if I were, if I were, uh, 
trying to please men. No, I'm, I'm called by God. I'm actually going to be persecuted from what, from what I'm saying, telling you right now by the Jews. And no doubt, the false teachers who had come into the church, they came in to discredit Paul, first of all, and to pervert the gospel. That's how they do it. They came in and said, ah, you know, Paul, this is a guess, but this, you can kind of tell from the context, Paul, he's not really approved by Jerusalem. He's, out, he's this rogue apostle. And he's got a, a, a wrong gospel. The actual, the real gospel you need to hear is, well, yeah, Jesus saves. He's our Messiah. Awesome. But now we can follow the law. Now we've got to be circumcised in, in these things. So, Paul, you're kind of on the side, and that's what most people think is going on here by the context. And so Paul, right off the bat, he says, hey, he's defending himself. He says, I am not an apostle by man. God, man did not, you know, I'm not even, I'm not from the 12. I'm not from that strain, yet I have the same gospel they do. And we'll get, we're going to get into that. He goes, the gospel I received, and he, and he spends, uh, you know, the rest of chapter 1 talking, because I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached to you is not something that was made up. I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus knocked uh, Paul down when he appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And he goes on, it says, in verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my previous ways in life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church. Uh, of God, and I tried to destroy it. I was advanced in Judaism beyond many of the Jews of my own age and extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. In other words, I didn't get this from headquarters in Jerusalem. Jesus appeared to me. He spoke the gospel to me, which I am preaching to you. So I have this independence. I'm an apostle called by God. And he would say, I'm, I'm the least of all apostles later on. But there's this group of people who I believe are saying, hey, he's not really one of the 12. So don't listen to what he says. Listen to us. We're from James, which they weren't. They were lying. And he goes on and he says, I didn't consult with anybody, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see who those were apostles before uh, before I was, but I went immediately to Arabia and later turned to Damascus. And so he spends this time, these three years uh, from that point, just receiving from the Lord by revelation. He goes, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. And this is my connection with Peter and stayed there for them 15 days. We hung out, we talked Jesus, you know, basically. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. This isn't the brother of John. This is James, the Lord's half-brother who wrote the book of James. We saw him. And I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. And later I went to Syria and then Cilicia. I went back to Tarsus, where I'm from, which is in Cilicia. And I was personally known to the churches in, uh, in Judea that are in Christ. I was personally unknown. They didn't know me. They didn't see me. I wasn't, I wasn't preaching around Jerusalem in these areas. They only heard the report that the man who formerly had what? persecute the church is now preaching that same gospel. God changed his life, 180. Anybody have that experience here? You're going down one road, you're like, oh, God stinks or whatever, and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, he knocks you off your donkey, right? And what happens? Oh, man, God is awesome. You got to see God. You know, he saves. And that's what he does with us sinners, amen? That's why I'm here, by God's grace, that it was pleasing to him, that he, you know, by his grace, he revealed his son in me. 
I'm thankful for that. And that's what we stand in. So he's, he's re- reiterating, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm called by God. I have an authority here to go ahead and talk to you about what the gospel truly is. And he's going to say, it's no different from what they preach in Jerusalem. And that's his point, is that we're unified. And he's going to go down this, this road. And so verse, uh, chapter 2 starts out, it says, And after 14 years, and so he had those three years of hearing from the Lord, went up to visit Peter for 15 days. Then after 14 years, so 17 years he's been walking with the Lord. He says, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. And I went in response to a revelation. And meeting privately with those esteemed as leader, now he's getting a little sarcastic here. Because, and, and he's not, I don't think, demeaning the leaders who are up there. He's, he, I think what the idea is, is that these, these false people were putting such emphasis, such esteem upon the 12 maybe, that um, he's, you know, he's going to kind of talk to him and kind of bring him back down to earth. He says, those who esteemed as leaders, I presented them the gospel that I preached the Gentiles. Why? I wanted to be sure I was not running. I had not been running in vain, my race in vain. And yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And so after 14 years, Paul is heading back up to Jerusalem. And we believe this is where what we just ended in Acts chapter 15. Because he says, this matter arose in verse 4, because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves again. Those people coming down supposedly from James and, and telling them this false gospel. So that's why I went up and there was a revelation. And notice he took Titus with him. Titus was probably a convert in his first missionary journey, Gentile, uncircumcised, and yet had the Holy Spirit born again. And so he takes him as an exhibit A with him up to Jerusalem, legalism headquarters, right? And what happens? Why would he do that? Because it's like, as John MacArthur says, it's not just an academic exercise. They're not just going to work over some kind of theological thing and come to some conclusion. There's actual real ramifications of what's going on. The real people look at what God is doing. Look at what he's done in this person's life. It's evidenced in this man. We're talking about real people here. And you're wanting to put them back under the law, back under the things. And there's going to be this argument that goes back and forth. So they took Titus along. And notice he went and met privately with those esteemed leaders before he talked to the church. He kind of got together with the esteemed leaders who we'll find out as Peter, uh, James, and, and uh, John in just a few minutes. And he goes, I wanted to sure I was not running and been not running in base. I think he really wanted to make sure that his gospel was connected with their gospel, and this conflict brought it up. Paul had been operating autonomously from the church this whole time. And if his gospel is truly the gospel, then it better sync up with their gospel and the other way around, correct? And that would mean that these false guys are coming in are false. And so they had to have a unified front against the, the trash talk that was happening, Right? And he, and he says, this came up, this matter arose. Uh, well, when he was in front of him, verse 3, it says, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. So when they were, when they were in front of that council in Jerusalem, in, in Acts chapter 15, not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. And we find out that Peter says, hey, man, we, can't, we never kept the law. 
Why are we going to try to put the law on these guys? And there was a sect of the Sadducees in there influencing stuff. And so there's some political drama going on. He goes, not even Titus, who was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this is his point to the Galatians. Why is he telling them that? Because if Jerusalem, who these guys supposedly came from, didn't make Titus do this, then why are you accepting this? Those are two different things going on. And the matter arose because some false believers, false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedoms we have in Christ. We have incredible freedom in Christ. We, have, we're, we are no longer under the law. We are under the law of love, the law of the Spirit. That means we can be filled with the Spirit and do whatever we want. You can be filled with the Spirit and do whatever you want. All you guys are laughing. That's incredibly freeing, isn't it? Because the Spirit is not going to be contrary to the Lord, is it? You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and just follow Him and, and, and love and do whatever He's called you to do. And you'll get into it later on. The Spirit is not going to be gratifying the desires of the flesh. No, it's going to be mimicking living out the life of Jesus in you. That's a beautiful thing. But these people have come out to spy out the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves again. Slaves again. What does that mean, slaves again? To put us back under the law. What does the law do? Apart from the law, we do not know sin. But what the law does, God's perfect, holy, just law, when we are faced with it, what it does is it reveals our sin nature. Actually, it puts it on steroids. It goes crazy. Do not covet, the law says. And so what, does, what do we find out about ourselves? That I covet. And I re- when I hear do not covet, I really want to covet. And that's why it's so fun to set a $100 bill or, or to have something you know, down and say, do not touch, you know, or wet paint. You just want to see if the paint is wet, don't you? I do. Anyone? Do not lie. Was it, you know, do not covet. Do not do all these things. And all of a sudden you realize you're a sinner. The purpose for the law is to bring you to a place where you realize You've got to die. You've you got a problem. You're exceedingly, I am exceedingly sinful through and through. It reveals the law of sin working through us. Romans 6, 7, right? 8. That we are exceedingly sinful people. And so these people are spying out your freedom, the liberty you have in Christ, the freedom to be filled with the Spirit in love and go. They go, no, you've got to keep the law. You can't just hang out. You've got to make sure you... You're circumcised and you take all the classes and you do all the things and blah, 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 right? To bring them back under bondage again. And he says, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. If they had given in, it would have perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the Galatians would have been down this road, but that is not the case. 
As for those held in high esteem, verse 6, whatever they, they are makes no difference to me. <laughs> Paul. God doesn't show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. These apostles in Jerusalem, they added nothing to my message. They did nothing for me. They didn't add anything to the message. They didn't. Why? Because it's the same. And that's what he's getting at. You're esteeming these guys and you're, and you're using them as a reason, you know, to abandon me, your father and the Lord, when actually we have the same gospel. These guys are clever who are coming down. Even Peter himself said God does not show favoritism. Remember when he, he walks into the house of Cornelius? And he goes, I perceive that God does not show favoritism. No kidding. The Holy Spirit fell upon these people. God does not show favoritism. Peter will struggle with that, as we're going to read. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, guess what? They recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. And it was for God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. They confirmed that I was called. They didn't say I wasn't. They said, yeah, you're called. You're called to go hang out with those heathens out there. Go have fun. And people say, well, that's two different gospels, one to the Gentiles, one to the, one to the Jews. No, it's not. It's the same gospel and the same God who is at work in both of them doing the same thing at the same time. We see that throughout history. I, I think you look at, uh, you know, the Reformation. You'll see, if you read church history, you'll see God doing two different things at the same time and two different men, but it's, it's, it's the same thing he's doing in two different places. That's what I meant to say. Can God be actually working in two different churches in this town? Perhaps. I don't know about that. Because they aren't circumcised like us. They don't follow the law like us. Blah, blah, blah. Very easy. But he goes, verse 9, James, Cephas, that's Peter and John, those esteemed as pillars, sarcasm, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. That the right hand in, in that culture was not just like, hey, what's up? You know, whoosh, whoosh. you know, they were, it was like you grasped hands. In other words, you were, you were welcome in the fold. You're one of us. That right hand of koinonia, that word fellowship, the right hand of fellowship to come alongside your partners with us in this ministry when they recognize the grace given to me. Oh, and there was grace given to Paul. What a knucklehead. Anyone going to persecute the church, the grace given to them, they recognize, whoa, God has given them grace. How many of you feel totally inadequate in sharing Jesus with anybody? Grace to you. Peace to you from Jesus Christ. It is not something we deserve to do. It is by his grace, his goodness, his, his benevolence towards us just because he is, enjoys it. He enjoys it. That is why you are called. That is why you can stand up and share the gospel, not on your righteousness, but because of his goodness and his righteousness. That is the basis for which we stand and which we preach. And you have tremendous freedom and liberty now to do that because it's not based upon your works. It's based upon his 
finished work and his power working in and through you, the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? When they recognize that the grace given to me, they gave us the hand of fellowship, and they agree that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. You know, hey, we'll hit this mission field, you hit that mission field, let's go get them for Jesus. And all they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager or zealous in the Greek to, to do. Now, some people think that this is kind of like, James always has to add something on the end of stuff. You know, oh, tell him not to do anything, but tell him not to, you know, strangle stuff and drink blood and do all that. You know, great, just go, but remember the poor. You know, it's just kind of like one of those added things on there. And the poor, I think he's referring to as the poor in Jerusalem. Because those people were hurting. People would go to Jerusalem, they'd get converted, and they'd stay. They'd be saved and they'd stay. And there was a lot of poor. And if you remember, Paul always was bringing collections from the Gentile community and bringing it to go help the believers in Jerusalem. And so that same heart is the heart of of, of Christians is that when you see the poor within the body of Christ, we are called to meet that need. That is the emphasis that we have in 1 John. That is the emphasis Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you do it to me. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about the world? Let's talk about my brothers, first of all. We are called first of all and foremost to love one another, to take care of one another. Does that mean our mission does not extend beyond that? Of course not. Jesus met people and he talked to people all the time, but it was always in connection with the gospel. Separate a time for me when Jesus did a miracle, when he did a, when he did a, fed people or took care of someone or anything apart from the word of God. Do you see it in scripture? challenge. I know it's going to ruffle some feathers, but go and look for it. It's always in connection with the gospel. Jesus well. We're not just giving water to people so they can have temporary water and then go into hell. We're connecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's being put next to a church. It's a mode of evangelism. It's there so that there's a connection to be able to share. Do you see that? And I think that's very important to consider and think about as a, as, a, as a church. It's not just about giving something and then us checking off our spiritual box and going, yay, I did that. Well, what about them? And I know we can go, okay, well, uh, the, you know, God will work it out. And I, and I understand that. But I think there's also a conscious part of us in going, how can I directly affect people with the gospel? Because that is what we are about. We're not here just to feed the poor and to do those things. We're here to bring the gospel, the eternal, the living water to the lost. That is, that is what we do and why we do. And we use all the resources and the things God's given us to do it, just as Jesus did. Having compassion upon the people as a sheep without a shepherd. Amen? Hard saying. But he's saying, remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do. To do. And there were a lot of poor. And we remember the distribution of the bread with the widows in Jerusalem. And so he's, it says when, when, so what he did right there is he was talking to the Galatians and he was establishing, I'm an apostle, 
I'm independent. I've been given this revelation by Jesus Christ, but guess what? It's the same gospel they have. Actually, we're all united. And so guess what? These turkeys who are coming down and telling you stuff are lies. And it's influencing people in a wrong way. And now he's going to give a really personal example of how even those who are esteemed have been, have been pulled in by this doctrine of you, you know, that, uh, moving away from grace and more towards works, back under the old law. And he goes, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Peter was eating ham sandwiches, hanging out, having fun, laughing, whatever it is, just being a brother, ministering to, just acting, living like a Gentile, not immorally, but in the Lord. Hanging out with the brothers and sisters who were converted there in Antioch. Great thing. So that's how he was acting before the people came down from James. This, he's a, and, and it says in verse, verse uh, 12b there, it says, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision. Now that word draw back, he began to draw back, that's a military term. It means to withdraw like a, a strategic, slow backing out of the situation. He was just going, uh, they showed up and he's like, yeah, so um, how you doing? Okay, well, how are you Jews doing? You know, well, oh yeah, I'll see you later. I can't make it today. And he just kind of started slowly moving over to hang out with the circumcised group, the official crowd from Jerusalem. And Paul's going to call him on his stuff. Why did he do that? Because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the Pharisees. He was afraid of what they thought, what they might report. He had the fear of men. Peter struggles with this his whole life. I'll die for you, Jesus! Girl, don't you know? No, I don't know him. Don't know him. He's fearful of what people might think. He struggles with that. This is a born-again, spirit-filled leader of the church. Amen? What does that tell you about me? What does that tell you about the elders? What does that tell you about Peter being infallible, the first pope? We are men prone to error. In one moment going, you are the son of God. Oh, Peter, Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father in heaven. Yeah. The next minute Jesus goes, okay, now I got to go die. Oh no, you can't do that. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter now being influenced by Satan. I'm telling you, Paul hits this head on because it is so important because this can divide the church. And he went to his face and he started talking to him. And this is what happened. Peter is a leader. And when he started to go off a side, guess what? People followed. 
when leaders aren't tight with the Lord, when leaders aren't hearing from the Lord, when leaders are acting in the flesh, guess what? Sheep follow. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, guess what? Even Barnabas was led astray. This might have been the, very, the catalyst of why um, you know, Paul and Barnabas split eventually. He was so influential. Peter had, Peter had such an influence over people that he, even in his, his sin, people started to act like him and do what he did. And, and he was a means of justification for something. And it was wrong. Praise God for people like Paul. In, in verse 14, Paul's reaction to what Peter did. And when he's saying, I'm sorry, in verse 13, he says, man, he joined him in his hypocrisy. What was the hypocrisy? Is that Peter heard from the Lord. He had the scroll come down three times. He had the three th- thing happen three times, right? He was, God had told him, Gentiles are clean. They're good. You can eat with them. Hang out with them. What I have called clean, you do not call unclean. They're clean. Peter proclaimed this. And then in Acts 15, he says, why are we trying to put the law upon these people when we couldn't even keep it? No, we're saved by grace. And Peter proclaims these things. And here he is in a moment of weakness for the fear of men. It's very hard for leaders to lead when they are constantly worried about what people think as opposed to what God thinks. That's why church can get real messy if you're being pulled all over. Because how many different opinions do we have in this room? And ultimately, I think if we all have the Spirit of God and we're all seeking the Lord, we're going to kind of be in unity in that through, I think, the leadership. But we need your prayer. I need your prayer. I need your grace. And I am thankful that I have guys around me like the elders who call me out. And, and the other way around, too. We sharpen each other constantly. It's not always agreements in our board meetings. There's issues of, you know, hey, you, you got to do this or that or tighten up or, you know, that's not love. It could have been said better. You know, a lot of that going on. Praise God for that, amen? We need that. And Paul here is just, he's avid about defending the gospel. And, and he calls out Peter, and, in, and it says in verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said, to, uh, and he starts, that word acting in line, is that, that's where we get the word orthopedic. They, didn't, they weren't set straight. They didn't have right footing, right direction. They were all messed up. They weren't in line with the gospel, with the truth. When I saw that, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, potluck, bad situation. We're having a potluck. They're, having, they're eating all together, doing these things. You've got these two groups that are happening. And Paul stands up and says, Peter! This is like death match. Two heavyweights, you know, apostles. He stands up in front of them all. What does he say? Hey, you're a Jew. And yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. Do you remember last week, Pete? How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow his Jewish customs? And he, and he knows this. And then verse 15, when he starts talking about justification, he goes, hey, 
we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we too have put, our, we as well, in addition, they did, but now we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Peter, why are you having this division? Why are you acting this way in front of these people, acting as if they don't, aren't not saved? Why, are, by your actions, are you supporting this false doctrine? That's not who you are, Peter. That's not the truth of the gospel. And this word justification means declared innocent, declared not guilty. And this is, what, this is the central part of the gospel. We who are Jews by birth, in other words, we who have the law, we know that the only way a person can be saved, we have the law, is by faith in Christ. That's it. That's how we can be declared not guilty. Those sinners, those Gentiles who didn't have the law, they're saved the same way. We're both saved the same way. And then, so he points that out. There's, there's no difference between us. But if in seeking, and this is a very f- difficult verse, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? And this is kind of confusing, but I think with the gist of what he's saying is that if we're Jews and we came to Christ and then we find ourselves in fellowship with people who came to Christ in the same way, then, then Jesus must be drawing us into sin because it's unlawful. That's kind of his point. In other words, um, if we came to gr- Christ through grace and they came to Christ through grace and yet we find ourselves meeting with them and we're breaking the Mosaic law, in other words, of if eating and all that stuff. You weren't allowed to eat with people as a Jew. If you were a, a Jew, you couldn't eat with Gentiles. So he's saying Christ must have be drawing us into sin. It's, it's hard for me to grasp this, and I think you'll have to read it a little bit more. But it'll clear up in just a second. And he says, so is Christ leading us into sin? Absolutely not. Why is that? Because there is no law. There is no dietary law. You can eat with Gentiles. They're one, they're free is the point. And he goes, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a law breaker. In other words, if I reinstituted the law, then yes, I would be breaking the law and we'd be in trouble. But I'm not. There is no law. There is no dietary law. You're free. Stop acting like you're under the law, Peter. That's this his point. Being under that bondage again. If I were to reestablish the law, then I would be guilty. And Paul's point is that his relationship to the law has been destroyed. The law no longer can be used as a basis for judging Christian practices. The law can no longer be used as a basis for judging Christian practices. It's no longer there. How is that? And he says, verse 19, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. The law, the law showed Paul that he could not keep it. Through the law, by looking at the law, observing the law, trying to keep the law, he realized, I'm a lawbreaker. I can't keep it. I need a Savior. 
And so there he has to be connected with Christ who kept it perfectly. And then he goes in verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I died to the law through Christ, is what he's saying. I'm dead to the law. And now, by faith, I have a new life, life by the Spirit, no longer by the law. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've put your faith in Christ, in other words, I believe that you died for my sins, you are now justified by Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. He, he died, you died with him on the cross. He rises again to new life, you have that new life. That is, we're identified with him wholly in that. Now you're free to walk in it. Now it's no longer a life by the law. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this good? Is this bad? Is this right? Is this wrong? It is now life by the Spirit. Is this pleasing to you, Father? Is this pleasing to you? How do you know it's pleasing? Look at what Jesus taught. Look what Jesus did. Look how he walked. Look what he acted. Look what the New, New Testament teachers taught. These things are pleasing to him. Life by the Spirit. New covenant, not the old one. He says, the life I now live, how do we live this life? By the law? No, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And goes, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I know this is heavy and weighty. Wait till we get in Romans. But he says, I don't set aside the grace of God. If I set aside the grace of God, if I start to live this Christian life apart from the grace of God and I start to go back under the law, a rules and regulations thing for righteousness, then I've set aside the grace of God. And he goes, for if, Christ, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Why did Jesus die? If righteousness, if right standing with God could be gained through the law, then why would Jesus have to die? If I could earn it, if I could do it, if I could be good enough, if I could keep enough things, if at the end of my life things would balance out and God would say, hey, you're pretty good, come on in. How many funerals have I heard that at? And it's a lie. It's a lie. The truth is, we're not going to make it apart from Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. He's the only way. When Jesus was at the cross and in Gethsemane, what did he say? If there's any other way, let me do it. If there's any other way but the cross, let me do it. And God said, no way, three times. Like, this is it. Go to the cross. It's the only way we can be made right. And we as a church are to rest in it. We're to rest in that finished work. If you are under a law-based relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're thinking, oh, I didn't do this, I did do that, instead of seeking the Lord, being filled with his spirit, and walking in it daily, and allowing the spirit to bring up things that he would have you pass away and move out of your life and to give up and surrender as you are in the word, as you're in fellowship, and as these other things, as the spirit of God is moving in this new life, if you're in that other way, a works-based thing, 
Might you try out the grace of God? You can just kill yourself living in under the law. Receive his forgiveness, not because you earned it. Receive his love, not because you deserve it. Just receive and say thank you by faith. And then walk in what he says. Put off the flesh, put on Christ. Well, how do I do that? By the Spirit. What does that look like? Start reading his word. You don't have a job? You're stealing from people? What do you do? Well, what does the law of love say? Well, go get a job. Why? So now you can start being a giver because Jesus is a giver. And going to take care of people instead of taking from people. You're lying? Stop lying. How do you do that? By the law? No. God, forgive me. Make me clean. Fill me with your spirit. Make me sensitive to these things that, that pop out of my mouth that aren't true. And you just walk like that, and all of a sudden, you start realizing, wow, you start changing from the inside out. You let Jesus take control, and you become a new person. Is this overnight, church? How many have been working on this for a few years? Yeah, me too. We have to be a church established in grace, not in the works of the law. And that's important. Now, there are things that we are commanded to do under the new covenant. And those things are under the new covenant. We're called to love one another. We're called to be merciful. We're called, there's so many things under the new covenant, but it's not a law. It's the law of the spirit in our hearts. As we let God possess us, these things will happen. They will happen. And they're not a means of righteousness. They're discipleship growing in sonship. Amen? Growing in what it means to be who you already are. Letting God live through you. Not so that I can be this. You already are a daughter of the living God. You already are a son of the living God. Now let God live through you. Surrender. Die, just like Jesus daily. Amen? Father, we lift up this time to you and we pray that your word, your will would just pierce our hearts. Lord, I pray for the legalists this morning. I have that tinge of that in my own heart that would say, um, yes, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross, but you won't accept me unless I do this. I pray that that would be settled. That your grace would pierce through the darkness, that the truth of your love would pierce through whatever theology, whatever traditions we have, whatever things we have that we would know that we are not saved by works, any works. We're saved by grace and that we are saved for good works. Now we're free to go do it as a joy. We're free. We're liberated. And what does that look like, Father? We, We just anticipate as we seek you and you lay those things out in front of us. And we smile as we run to all these great things you have for us, sharing the Lord, loving people, whatever it looks like. Jesus wells, our neighbors, our families. So you fill us with your spirit this week that we'd be people of the spirit, rooted and grounded in your word.
so that we would be about the gospel. Bless this church this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.